0: You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, and also part of the CBS Sports Network. We bring you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. It's Friday, and that means two more days until Super Bowl 51, For more on that game, please check out our other podcasts, Locked on NFL, Locked on Patriots, and Locked on Falcons. And if you're in draft mode, since the Packer season is over, you should definitely check out Locked on NFL Draft. And of course, please go over to my website, PackerReport.com. I've been doing my own version of the player grades over there. Just posted the offensive line last night, about 2,000 words, breaking down production Based on salary cap value and my highest graded player this year will be the left tackle David Bakhtiari, who I gave an A+. Even with the big contract, Bakhtiari ranked 23rd, I believe, in left tackle pay last year. All pro, Pro Bowl. Not bad for being the 23rd highest, play, highest paid player at your position. For today's podcast, we're going to continue our position-by-position position review of the season it's at the tight ends, and this will be pretty short today. There are only two tight ends, Jared Cook and Richard Rodgers. Cook obviously became a great signing. I remember about halfway through training camp. I mean, Cook had missed the start, so he popped back us about a week or so at that point. And I thought, this guy is going to the Pro Bowl. I mean, he caught everything. He's a big play machine. He, you know, maybe plays on the field. Um, him and Rodgers seemed to be on the same page. Rodgers loved him. Didn't happen, obviously. Caught one pass in the first game, four in the second. Then early in the third game against Detroit, he suffered a high ankle sprain, missed the next six games. Here's what happened when he came back. He played a total of ten games after the injury. Seven regular season, ten postseason. 44 catches, 553 yards, four touchdowns. If you were to put that over the course of a full season... That works out to 70 catches, 885 yards, six and a half touchdowns. During those 10 games, he had 7 catches of at least 24 yards. Richard Rodgers didn't have any until the playoffs, until he beat Sean Lee for a touchdown. So, I mean, there's a lot of numbers I'll look at here comparing Cook to Rodgers, but that one kind of jumps off the page at you. In postseason alone, Cook... Five for 48 against the Giants. Six for 103. One touchdown and, of course, the, the, big, the big one to set up the tying field goal or the winning field goal against Dallas. Then seven for 78 and another touchdown against Atlanta. In those 10 games since they came back, Packers on 8-2. and two. They lost the first game to Washington, lost the last game to Atlanta, obviously. Won the others in between. Here's the you know some of this was based on the sheer volume of passes thrown his way and you know the one disappointing number here. If you're cooking, you, you figure you got you got to be better than this, right? He had a 58.8 percent catch rate. He's never been a great catch rate kind of guy. I mean, his production has always come on volume. You know I, I realized that you know Richard Rodgers this year for instance for instance was 63.8 this year and 68.2 percent in 2015 when he had his 58 catch season so was like a 10 percent difference and i realize a lot of that probably is uh, margin of difficulty in the passes where richard Rodgers really is a short game kind of guy and you're going to complete more of those short passes than you are down the field but that's the one thing with cook i thought man 58.8 is, it's it's not good enough for aaron Rodgers as your quarterback but otherwise otherwise the guy was great he, caught, he dropped two passes according to stats. His uh, average over the previous four seasons was 4.75. So a, a big advantage, or a big, uh, a big improvement there, and a big improvement over what I was told to expect. I mean, I talked to a couple scouts about Davis, or about Davis, geez Louise, about Cook. And he said, you know, he's, he'll, he's, a, he's a terrific athlete who's never put it all together, is basically what was the synopsis of it perennial tees, that kind of stuff. But he cut back in the drops and, and was a, you know, Rodgers liked him. He looked he was a really, really good fit in the locker room. Five point, along, along with the, uh, the seven catches of 24-plus yards in those last nine games for the season, he averaged 5.3 yards after the catch. That compares favorably to the last four seasons. No, excuse me, this, this makes four straight seasons of 5.2 yards of yak or more. So, a big weapon there. Richard Rodgers just 3.6 yak. You look at me, look at at Cook and Rodgers here. They they both had 30 catches, which makes a very handy comparison, doesn't it? Cook, 30 catches, 377 yards. Rodgers, 30 catches, 271 yards. Cook, 12.6 yards per catch. Rodgers, 9.0. Longest gain. Cook with forty-seven yards. Remember, and he had the seven of twenty-four plus. Rodgers' longest catch was twenty-two. Rodgers did beat him on touchdowns, two to one. You know, these the drops that come with are from stats, and stats had Rodgers of one. And I'm thinking, man, they're they're awfully kind graders over at stats. I can remember, I, mean, I can remember four off the top of my head. So, but you know, I've been using stats numbers throughout all my work, and I'm gonna I'll stick with that. So. Rodgers has Cook beat allegedly on drops two to one. Rodgers had the better catch rate as well at sixty three point eight percent. But I mean, it's the explosive element you can't coach explosiveness, and 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 Cook has that. Look, Green Bay needs to re-sign a guy, right? He's he signed he signed a one year deal one year deal to come here. I mean, he's got to be isn't you know as much as their defense is a mess. And they've got guys like Nick Perry and Micah Hyde to free agency. You've got to try to sign Cook. His guy is a difference maker. And you look, look—he came back to the big game, big game against Washington, and then he went all these games after that. It's probably not a coincidence, and he, and he always wasn't a fa- wasn't always a factor. He had one catch versus Philly, one catch versus Houston. So he didn't always put up great numbers, but you know he's. And this is what I said all along about Cook. You might not have to throw it to him, but the defense sure as heck better respect him. And that means you you better put a guy on him who can run, or you're going to get killed. Same can't be said about Richard Rodgers. Defensive coordinators worry about Jared Cook. They don't care about Richard Rodgers. So in a perfect world, they bring back Cook. Of course, this isn't a perfect world, and... There'll be, well, I was going to say 31 other teams. Probably not 31 other teams. But there's going to be a whole lot of other teams who are going to see what he did down the stretch. And look, there's a lot of teams out of the playoffs who, who watch the playoff games. I mean, you don't, you don't even have to go back and look at the film of Cook. You just sit, you know, these coaches and scouts can sit there watching their TV during the playoffs and watch Cook do what he did. So Cook's going to get a, Cook's going to get a big payday. Whether it's here or elsewhere, and you wonder if, if the if the franchise tag might not be the way to go here on Cook. To buy you some time if you're if it's getting close to that deadline you haven't signed him. From Cook's perspective, you really seem to like it here. Heck, you he even like talking to us, which is which can be a rare thing in the locker room sometimes. But you know, for after being that perennial tease for all those years, it really seemed to work for him. I mean, for the first time in his career he had a quarterback. I mean, look at the quarterbacks he had in Tennessee and And St. Louis, where, I mean, you look at the guys he played with, and and the probably his best quarterback he had when that was like a a year, year and a half with Matt Hasselbeck. So from Cook's perspective, you have Rodgers. You put up some really good numbers. Heck, for the first time in your career, you actually made the playoffs. I mean, for all those years at the Titans and Rams, I was like, he must have been thinking, playoffs? Playoffs? You know, the old Jim Mora thing. So... All those things that make you think that Cook would want to come back, but as you know and as I know, money talks. You can talk about fit, you can talk about chances to win, you can talk about all that stuff, it all it all sounds great. But at the end of the day, if the Packers average if the Packers offer him a deal of say four years and twenty million, and some other team offers him four years and twenty six million, just totally making up numbers here. I mean what are you gonna do? I mean, you you would think that players would would go for fit and chances to win and all that, but it doesn't always happen. You know, and the, and the agent probably has a say in it, and you've got loved ones who have a say in it, and and all that kind of stuff. So who knows? But it would see it, it certainly seems like a good fit. And one other thing here is, is blocking. Cook wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. And I thought he tried. I, I I didn't sense the lack of effort on his part. So I thought he was even, even an upgrade there for Rodgers. Rodgers has never been a good blocker. I, I mean, I, I've told this story a hundred times, probably. Maybe not in the show, though. I remember talking to his offensive coordinator at Cal after the Packers drafted him. And I said, what about his blocking? And he laughed and said, when we needed to block, we take him out and we put in a couple of 215-pound guys because they would try. That's all I needed to know about Richard Rodgers blocking. He's the offensive coordinator... I, I talked to every single... One of these guys is college coaches after the draft. And, of course, they always say nice things about guys. Always. It's the one time I can remember where his coach in college totally just, I didn't say, maybe not trash, but was critical of a phase of a player's game. I would take him out and I'd put him on a couple of 215-pound guys who would try. So, now I've never sensed that he didn't try here. I thought the effort's there, but, you know, he was huge last year. Kind of a related note. You know, everyone talked about Eddie Lacy's weight last year. Richard Riders was huge last year. And his blocking stunk. He, he probably came back 20 pounds lighter this year. Figuring, you know, heck, with just signed cook, he needed to get in better shape so he could run better. And I, Frankly, I don't, I don't know if it mattered. He was probably a little bit more elusive after the catch, but his blocking still stinks. Again, I don't think it's lack of effort anymore. I just think he's a terrible blocker. So Cook's a little bit better there, too. See, so you get a better receiver, you get more explosiveness, and you get a better blocker. All advantages to the Cook and all reasons why Green Bay should try to sign, or Green Bay should do all they can all they can, to sign him in the offseason. All right, I got two interesting emails here this week. Actually, I got two interesting emails within a span of, I'm going to my email right I just realized that they're all on the same day. Within a span of 38 minutes. Best emails I've gotten in a long time. I do not know who this man's name is. His last name is Lewis, though, based on the email address. Greetings. Here we go. What is the only saying about thinking things will change by doing the same thing? The last four-plus years, the dom dumb capers defense has failed, yet he is still retained? He has been fired from every job. Why not this one? Term limits, please. That was all-caps. That was kind of a funny line. MM. Same old play calling and low-percentage pass plays on second and third and short. They get 8 yards on first down, and they throw twice and punt. Please look up how many drives stall because of the play calling on those downs. Also, why no QB sneaks on fourth and inches? Why no jet sweeps with Janus twice a game? Why no Flea Flickers with QB Cobb? This old stale and needs a change. History is repeating itself. Same thing with Favre. Wolf didn't get him offensive studs, and Sterling went down. Talk about Sterling Sharp there. Now, T.T. is not getting difference makers, and Rodgers is getting long in the tooth. Drain the bay, Mr. Murphy. Um, I will get into the caper stuff in the next email here. On McCarthy's play calling, on low percentage pass plays on second and third and short, For on one, ultimately Aaron Rodgers decides where the ball is thrown. And I don't know what all goes into that. Nobody knows. Obviously, McCarthy calls plays, but, you know, McCarthy isn't. I mean, I guess there probably are times where maybe it's designed to go deep, but, you know, by and large, there are three, four, sometimes five guys out in the pass route, and it's up to Rodgers to to determine where the ball goes. And, and, you know, most of the time, and I shouldn't say most of the time, I mean, there's never a play where they just all run deep. There are guys short, there are guys middle, there are guys deep, there are guys left, there are guys right. So, I, I. you, you can criticize McCarthy's play calling, and, you know, and I'm sure in some of that probably is fair, but ultimately the QB determines where the ball goes. Why no QB sneaks? It didn't always work very well. I mean, he's not the most powerful of guys. Um, also was banged up too, remember, at the end of the year. Why no Jets sweeps with Janus twice a game? Well, actually, I think that's a pretty fair question. It worked. They, they ran it a couple times, and it worked. I know they tried to do some plays off of that play, but yeah, I thought the Janus play should work pretty well. I th- I'm surprised and then no flea flicker with Cobb. I've always wondered that. Flea flickers, end-of-round passes, whatever. I've always wondered why they've never let Cobb throw the ball. I mean, he did play quarterback. He's Not, a play, not only played, he started at quarterback in Kentucky. Not, not a whole bunch of games, but I think a handful of games he started. He He's a smart guy. I would trust Cobb to make a good decision with the ball. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there, uh, there's probably a, a few fair points in here. But back to the second and third down stuff. Green Bay was second in third down conversion rate this year. And they are all other than last year, I think last year they kind of fell up the, by the wayside a bit, but they they were they've been a top 10 third down team practically every year of Rodgers' career. And this year they were second in the league on third down. So they I think they they managed to do pretty well on that down. Alright. This is from Jordan James. Mr. Huber, he leads off with. And for God's sakes, people, I'm not Mr. Huber. That's my dad's line. My dad would say, my dad was Mr. Huber. Well, same thing. My dad, God bless him in heaven. He's, he's Mr. Huber. I'm, a, I'm just Bill. So cut out the formalities here. I'm not, I don't need that. Anyways, first of all, thank you for all your hard work covering the team. He's assuming that I work hard too. Ha! I appreciate your time. Or excuse me. I appreciate you taking time to record a podcast to provide information as well as your thoughts on the Packers. I would like to weigh in and take the opposing side to your Dom Capers versus Ted Thompson debate. I will start by saying that I do not blindly trust that Thompson is infallible, nor do I think all the defensive struggles should be pinned on Dom Capers. I do think, however, that Thompson does a pretty good job lording the roster with talent, and the Capers continuously coordinates an underperforming defense. In 2009 and 2010, Capers' first two years as D.C. and Green Bay, the Packers had a top-ten defense. I would argue that part of the excuse me. Excuse me on that. I could argue that part of that is due to the defense he inherited. But nonetheless, the defense was successful. In the 6 years since then, the Packers defense has not finished with the top 10 in either yards allowed or points allowed. 6 years. He doesn't have to create the best defense in the league, but they haven't been good in the last 6 years. They finished 2016 allowing the 22nd most yards and 21st most points in the NFL. I understand that there were several injuries, and I'm I'm not suggesting he should be fired because of this one year, but we should stop assuming he is a good coordinator. I understand your main argument is that Thompson is to blame for a lack of talent to work with on defense. I disagree with this. Since Capers was hired in 2009, the Packers have had 17 draft picks in the first two rounds of the draft. Of the 17 picks, 11 have been defensive players, including seven of their nine first-round picks. And this is not just a product of Ted overdrafting bad players. Most of those players were players that had many different scouts from many different companies. agreed were very talented players. Very few of those players were considered reaches by anyone at the time. Sure, drafting is not an exact science, but players don't typically bust because their talent was incorrectly evaluated. They typically bust, Due to off-field problems, injuries are being put in bad situations with bad schemes and or bad players around them. I trust that Ted Thompson is smart enough to get at least half of those draft picks correct, which should be plenty to fill a tail the defense. Coming into 2016, I would assume the Packers plan on giving around 15 defensive players heavy workload snap counts. Of those 15 players, 9 were drafted in the first three rounds. That includes 7 that were former first-round picks. The numbers are similar for the past few years, and yet the defense has not finished inside the top ten. Dom Capers may not be among the five worst DCS in the NFL, but he certainly is not in the top fifteen either. His units underperform in every single year. Most of their coaches would have been fired a long time ago if they produced those results within the resources. Or me, with the resources he was given. Thank you for time. Thank you. Thank you for the time. To read this crazy long email, I hope you give my argument fair consideration. Thanks, Jordan. All right, you could be right, Jordan. And this is what we will never know. And this is what makes it such a great debate. Who? Where does the blame go? I think. If you, I think Mike McCarthy has made it clear where the blame goes. I think he, he blames his boss because you're right. The results haven't always been great. Although I will say, lately, you, you pointed out, 2010 they had a great defense. 2014, his defense had them in the Super Bowl. They had five turnovers by half. They, they they had to finish the game with five turnovers. They had four turnovers at halftime. Even Russell Wilson with the hot finish had a quarterback rating of like 44. Capers' defense ascended during that late in that year. And he had that team in the Super Bowl only for the special teams and Aaron Rodgers and that offense to blow it. So are we, having, are we thinking differently about Dom's defense? If Green Bay somehow cashes in enough of those turnovers and they beat the Seahawks and go to that Super Bowl. Win or lose, who cares? But do we think differently if, if Capers has two Super Bowls during uh, would be the past seven years? probably do, and Capers' defense was great that day. And they, and they fell apart late, I know, but that game should have been over at halftime. And as I had in this podcast before, they should have been sipping champagne while sacking Russell Wilson in the second half of that game. You mentioned all the first-round picks. Let me go get to them. Hold on a second here. I have to go find them on my sheets. I'm not, pre- I'm not prepared. Alright. 2009 was Matthews and Raji. Obviously, Raji's retired. So you got Matthews for one. Nick Perry for two, Dayton Jones three, hot Clinton Dix four, Demarius Randall five, Kenny Clark six, and I'm assuming you're counting Julius Peppers for seven. You're right, and I mean that was mentioned a lot of times on TV, on Twitter, and all that kind of stuff. We'll start at the top Clay Matthews. Is Clay Matthews to you performing like a first round pick? Or is he performing like a guy who's breaking down because he's getting around 30 years old? And he's had a lot of wear and tear on his body. What did he do this year? You know, he missed time with a hamstring injury like he does a lot of years. Then he had the shoulder late in the year. The guy's been hurt. He did not perform like a first round pick. Nick Perry, great year. Come playoff time, he's got a broken hand. He's not playing like, for I me, mean, he's still rather effective with it, but you're, you're trying to beat the best offense in football and the best offense this league has seen since maybe the 2011 Packers. And, you know, you just if you want to base it on, you know, have a, have a great running game and a, and a great passing game, this is the best offense since maybe the Rams with Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner. You're trying to beat them with Nick Perry, your best front seven player, with one hand. Dayton Jones, 2013. Not a bust, but he was drafted to play defensive end. It didn't work. He switched positions. A bad draft pick. 2014, ha, huh, Clinton Dix. Well, he went to the Pro Bowl. He's a second-team All-Pro. I think maybe a little overvalued, but a heck of a good draft pick. No one's complaining there. Demarius Randall. Enough said. Kenny Clark. I think that's going to be a good pick. He, he's played, he played pretty well down the stretch. So worth it, for sure. But again, of this, and, and, and then you got Peppers, who's 37. So of those seven players, okay, their first round picks, which of them play like first round picks? Did Clay Matthews play like a first round pick this year? No. Nick Perry. Yes, but with a, with one hand, is he playing with like a like first round pick with one hand? No, Dayton Jones definitely not. Hocklet and Dix yes. Demarius Randall, God no. Connie Clark, um, sure. I'll go. I'll go with you on that because he played well and, there's, and you like the upside there. So, and Peppers. Peppers gave you what he got, what he had, but he's also he turned 37 a couple of days before the championship game. I mean, he's sort of not like a first, like a first round pick. I mean, if, you, if, you, if, you th- if you throw the age out. And say, what did he play like? Fourth-rounder? So I understand they have a lot of first-round picks, but where is the value in those first-round picks? If you want to go a little bit deeper, sure. I mean, um, Morgan Burnett was a third-round pick. Um, In the playoff game, I don't know if he played like a third-round pick. Um, He's played hurt. But for for the course of the season, sure, he's been a terrific pick as a third-rounder. No doubt about that. Um... I'm just going through the roster. Um, yeah, look, you know, you look at that. They have a third-round pick from 2010 to Burnett. Not in 11, not in 12. That was Mike Daniels as a fourth-round pick. Not in 13. Um, the, the You know, the, the defensive guys in the roster from the 13 draft for Dayton Jones and Micah Hyde. 2014, um, Clinton Dix is the only defensive guy from that draft on the roster. 2015, uh, Randall. Rollins in the second. It's been was a god-awful pick just based on this year then Jake Ryan in the fourth and he you know he got hurt and then in 2016 he drafted Kyler fackerel who um was a forward thinking pick and certainly not look like I, I you know bob McGinn wrote some nice things about it I didn't see it I thought he was a I thought he had a lousy year and I couldn't figure out why they kept playing the guy so based on that I don't think it's a good defense and I don't blame capers I, mean, I, I look yeah you you invested a lot of resources in those guys but you know, at what point in your I mean, Dayton Jones has made some plays, don't get me wrong, but is he made, he, he it's a bust. I I, I have not seen a, Dayton Jones make enough plays to make you think, boy, that's a good play. If he just got coached up better or if he was used better. I mean, I just haven't seen that out of Jones. And, you know, Randall rounds were were awful this year because of the injuries. I, I I just think it's personnel. Um, but it's the fun thing about this job and, and about sports in general is you can have rational arguments on both sides of the equation I, I, and I think Jordan makes some some good arguments I don't I don't agree with them I I think Capers did, or uh, I think Thompson's done a bad job but with that said and and I if you want to replace Capers based purely on the fact that he's been here a long time and maybe a fresh voice and some new ideas and and, and all that would would be worth it you know what if McCarthy would have done that I would have said that makes sense to me, but to base it on, on production, man, I just, I just don't see it. Because I, because I look at the names on this on this list I just read off, and they've invested a lot of resources in them. But wh- wh- what have you gotten for it? You know, I my inkling is is the cornerback's coach, Joe, Wood, is a great coach because I look at what he did with Sam Shields, what he did with Tremont Williams. um, Charles Woodson swore by him um, because when Woodson was here and Joe Witt took over as cornerbacks, Coach Witt was like 30, maybe 29, whatever he was. And Woodson, and there were a lot of older guys in that room, and it was Charles Woodson who went to bat bat for Witt. That's good enough for me. And and then Woodson had a career rebirth here. So based on the success of those guys, I say Joe Witt's a really, really good coach. So did Randall and Rollins play poorly, or is it because they were coached poorly and are being used badly in in caper scheme? You know, I I'm not a scheme guy, and I will and I will say that I have no I, I am a whatever the hell is called execute the play kind of guy. So you know, is just caper scheme bad or predictable? Hell, I don't know. You know, I I, I do chart blitzes. Um, during the games, and you know that they send three in this play, send four, send six, and I never sense any predictability. And I look at you know you you go to those third and long plays. I've never sensed any predictability. I'm doing this stuff during the game where he always sends five, he always sends six. No, he'll send three, he sends six. I, I I sense it's been pretty unpredictable in that regard. But again, I don't know. If you want to argue that he should be replaced for a fresh voice, like I said, I would I would be. I would be okay with that. But. I thought that I thought the cupboard was bare this year because if you can't if you can't cover guys, you've got no chance. I don't care what the hell blitz you call. If you if your guys suck at covering, you're gonna you're gonna get killed. And I, and I thought that was the case. And in 2015, um, I think they were 12th in scoring, and, and in 2014 I think they were 13th. But I had them, in the, but played well enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Only for the offense and Brandon Bostick and and. Uh, You know this is well the special day. Get there was a fake fake field goal touchdown too there. So I thought they played well enough there too. So I, I I go to bat for Capers here and I go I vote for Capers over over Thompson in this and and by McCarthy keeping Capers again. I would assume that McCarthy has the same stance as I do. But a very very well thought out email and I will take your emails anytime. And with that, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game, and I look forward to talking to you about it on Monday. the list.